I want to take just a moment before we get started to say thank you to all of those who prepared food and Valentine's Day cards and, and delivered care packages to our shut-ins uh, from last Wednesday night. You never know how much that means to someone until you're the one receiving it. But actually, if you're like me, the ones who benefit and are blessed the most are those that prepared it and gave it out. But I led the group that night in a devotion on what the true measurement of love was, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 13. And I shared with them uh, what I'm about to share with you, that uh, you know, church signs, they, they can be a really good witness, but also they can be a very bad witness. I've seen some church signs that that uh, will tell people as they're driving by that, you know, if they don't turn left and turn right into the church before they pass, they're going to go to hell. And then there's others that are so vague you don't understand what's going on. That's why I'm so blessed that we have folks like Llewellyn and Arthur Higgins, that uh, that is their ministry. They go out there and they they put messages on that sign that are God-honoring that that I believe people are drawn to when they see that. And uh, speaking of church signs, I was going down... Uh, Main Street the other day, and I noticed North Anderson Baptist Church's sign. And it was, uh, Brother Bill Rigsby is there. He's been there for years. He's a dear friend, a dear pastor, a uh, man of faith that has been in this town for a long time. And, and I noticed on his church sign, it said, Where there is hatred, try showing love. Where there is hatred, try showing love. And that just kind of resonated with me, and I shared a little bit of the, that in my devotion. But... Folks, our world seems to be calling out the hate in other people. No one wants to own it, but they always want to talk about how much someone else is spewing hate. But when we do that, you understand that we're adding to the problem. Because if we call out hate with hate, what have we just done? We've increased the volume and we've added to it. So yes, our world is is filled with hate. And why is that? Because we live in a sinful world. But this is not our permanent home, folks. Uh, We live here, we represent Christ here, and we are called to make a difference here. And we will be rewarded one day. But until that day, we need to counter the hate that we experience, wait for it, with love. Love Love, love. All we need is love. But why is that? Because we must spread love. Not the Valentine holiday kind of love, which I'm not opposed to. I mean, I, I'm grateful that we have a, a business-generated day to where uh, they can sell cards and candy and all those other things. But it, it's nice to know that you can express your love to someone on a special day. But I would say, biblically, we need to express our love to someone Every single day. But just because you're used to hearing this, it does not mean that you should discount the fact that God changed all creation. That he sent his son. Listen to me. The gospel message. You've heard it. And even as I say it, it's kind of just, okay, I've, I've heard that and let's move on. But folks, the gospel message, the love that God showed by sending His Son, His one and only Son, to die on the cross for our sins. My question to you and my question to myself is, what can love do? I mean, think about this. 
rather than destroying the earth like God did in Genesis, He chose to redeem it. Let that sink in just for a second. Instead of rebooting the world and starting over from scratch, He decided to redeem it through His Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, that is a love greater than we have known or greater than we can express but one that we can experience by accepting Jesus Christ. Because those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord know the value of being redeemed. Let me say that one more time. Those that know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, they know the value of being redeemed. If I'm preaching and you've been redeemed, you're like, "Uh uh-huh, preach on, brother. I know exactly what you mean because I remember what my life was like and I remember what it was like after I was redeemed. And there was no hope for me. But because of what Jesus Christ did for me, I am now redeemed. But those who are lost, they don't even know how bad they need God's redemption. And I've taken this time to share with you this to explain why my preaching and what my preaching schedule will look like on Sunday mornings for the next few months probably because I feel like that we need to walk through the book of John. Why is that? Well, we need to get back to basics. We need to worship Jesus and not some tradition or preference. And we must be more motivated to share what Jesus has done for us rather than what our government is not doing for us, okay? I'm sick of hearing of Trump. I'm sick of hearing of Republicans. I'm sick of hearing about Democrats. Talk about Jesus. And if you want to know how to talk about Jesus... Read about Jesus. And all the books of the Bible are great, but there is no greater book that gives you the basis of Jesus than John. When someone becomes a believer, I tell people, the first book you want to read is the book of John. Because our only defense today is love. God's love. The love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross. His world changing love. But I believe the biggest problem for most believers, especially in churches today, if you've been a Christian for five years plus, the temptation is to lose the wonder of Jesus. And I was reading an article about uh, a man named Steve Merritt, and he recounts a story. He and his wife went on vacation out in San Juan Island, which is out on the Pacific coast in Washington State. And they got in their kayaks, and they were rowing out the shore. And so they were about 300 feet off of the shore, and they were really hoping that they could see some some whales or, or see some kind of exotic uh, ocean life while they paddled out there. But nothing. The The water was calm, and so they just sat there. They, they pulled their, their paddles back into the boat, and they just sat there, and they just looked at God's creation. Until all of a sudden they noticed behind them that there was a Coast Guard boat racing towards them. One of those, uh, it looks like a raft, but it's got a motor and a metal bottom. You know what I'm talking about? One of those serious boats. And so they were racing out to them, and they said, there are two pods of killer whales about to come right up on you. Now, just for the record, one pod of whales is known to be, or killer whales, is known to be any from four to 60 whales. And so they had two pods of whales heading towards them. And so before they knew it, all of a sudden, out of the water, this huge killer whale breached the ocean. And it looked to them like a, a Winnebago was jumping over the top of them. 
And they saw, I mean, you think they could have been killed. But yet the majesty and the glory of, of this huge animal coming out of the water and, and breaching right over top of them, about 30 feet away, they will never forget that experience. Because for the next 30 minutes, they were in the middle of that pod and they saw these beautiful animals that God had created. And it was obviously they're still writing about it and talking about it. They saw the wonder. And then the author says, as great as that was, we have lost the wonder and the awe of knowing that we were lost and bound for hell in the midst of our sins. But even greater than a a killer whale breaching out of the ocean, that God sent His Son to breach this sinful world and to rescue from your sin and yourself. Folks, do not lose the wonder of who Jesus is. Now, I can feel the excitement mixed with fear and His amazement, but yet caution at the same time as you talk about that experience. But while you may never have that experience, you have the awe of knowing what Jesus, our Savior, has come to the world and done for you. His motivation... What was his motivation? What was Jesus' motivation for coming to this earth? Nothing but love. Love for his Father to do what he asks. And love for you to come get you when nobody else could. That's the kind of love. Never lose the wonder of that. So, as we, as we look at John over the next few months, we see what is John's angle. And I wanted to show you that, that these synoptic gospels, basically these are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are the same stories, but yet they are told from different perspectives. So Matthew, the main theme of Matthew is that Jesus is the son of David. He is the, the Israel's king. He is the Messiah. And you see that in his writings. You see in Mark that Jesus is a suffering servant. You see in Luke that Jesus is the perfect man. And then in John we see that Jesus is God incarnate. God incarnate is a fancy word. Incarnate is a a fancy word of incarnation, which basically means that the invisible became visible. The spiritual became tangible, that we could have a physical representation that God is with us. Emmanuel, that he is walking among us. And that is what we are finding in John, and that's the point of reference that he is speaking to. So we're going to start in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. And as we just look at verses 1 and 2, we see this is not a, a earth-shattering fact for you. You probably realize it, but Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Let's read the first two verses. It says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. In the beginning, the world already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see that He existed, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Folks, we cannot lose the sight of this. Jesus was 100% human. Yet he was a hundred percent man. Sometimes you wake up in the morning, you got a crick in your back. Your neck hurts. You're sore from working out, or you, or you, you got that pain that, that you have, you haven't been able to, to shed, or, or you're, you're emotionally, you're drained, and, and all of these physical things that are going on, and you understand, Jesus understood all of that. Because he was a hundred percent human. But yet, 
He was 100% divine. He was 100% God. You know, our culture, they worship superheroes today. I saw a trailer just the other day for a new Avengers movie that's coming out with all these these uh, superheroes in it. Some of you don't know what the Avengers are, but there are some of us that are excited about that because we love superheroes. Think of the comic books that have been sold, the, the gazillion of dollars that have been spent on movies and TV. I mean, they keep making these movies because why? They make money, right? But folks, the thing is, is that we all want to believe that there is a person out there that has superhero power, special powers, that can defend us against the imminent attack of evil. My friend, I present to you Jesus Christ, the best real superhero you will ever need. He doesn't need leotards. He doesn't need an outfit. He doesn't need a handler. He doesn't need a movie. He doesn't need a TV special. He is our superhero. And story after character after story, they borrow upon what the Bible boldly proclaims. Is that we, in our case, are, are just incapable of helping ourselves. But yet, God sent His Son because He was 100% human and 100% God. We all at one time or another have had a hard time understanding something. Maybe it be your school, job. Maybe a project. Maybe you just see a magic trick and you think, how in the world will they do that? You, we are the just show me generation. Folks, that is what Jesus Christ did for you and I. And we celebrate it ever, every Easter where we say, Jesus, how much do you love me? And he said, let me show you. Every drop, every scourge, every tear, every breath, Let me show you how much I love you. Jesus relates in the first part of John about how Jesus relates to God. John shows us that Jesus' relation to the time in the beginning. Folks, understand this. Jesus had no beginning. Jesus had no beginning. John goes behind creation and shows us that the Savior himself was the Creator. Folks, if you were to chart out a timeline, any of y'all visual people, you like charts? If you were to say, this is the beginning of Jesus, or this is the beginning of time, excuse me, the beginning of time, and this is the end of time, I got news for you, Jesus would be nowhere on that line. Because he was before that point even started. He's always existed. When you were created, when you were in your mother's womb, and you were those intricate and delicate parts were being created in your mother's womb, Jesus was there. When Adam was being created, Jesus was there. And he saw us being created, and yet he came again to die for us and to rescue us. Jesus' relation was not only in the beginning he existed, but he was with God. And we see Jesus' relation to the Trinity, where it says the word was God. The Trinity shows us that we have one God, but three different personalities and functions. And Jesus is the answer to the question, how many of you have asked, what is the meaning of life? Maybe you didn't ask it that way, but maybe you said, is this all there is to life? What is the meaning of life? Folks, Jesus answers that to us. Folks, God wants us to have fellowship with Him. And He will answer our questions And he will give us hope, whether we realize it or not. 
See, Jesus' audience is universal. When John wrote this book, he wrote it to reflect the gospel is for everyone. Let me, and I don't want to get too deep into it, but let me show you something here. When it says in the beginning of that that he is the word, when he is the word, the word means logos. It referred to a spoken word. And so when John said that Jesus is the word, he wasn't just picking out terms from the sky. Okay, To the Jews that would read this, the word was basically the Old Testament and their religion and all of their practices. And so John is, is, is blasphemous by saying, these things that you worship, Jesus is that. He is the word. And into the Greeks, or the non-Jews, which a lot of us would fit into, into the Greeks, the word, the word was kind of like a mystical presence in the world, kind of like you Star Wars geeks would be the force. Just, it, it was seen that, that the word was just this mystical thing that, that was about reason and it was about order in the world. But yet, so by John saying that Jesus is the word, Jesus, he's saying here, Jesus is the meaning to life. To the Jews, everything that you've worshipped and everything that you've followed, Jesus is that. And to the non-Jews, everything that you find hope in, Jesus is that. So when you read this passage the next time on your own, I want you to understand it says, Jesus is the meaning of life. Everything we hope for and everything we strive for, those things we know and those things we don't even know, he is the meaning of that. Because Jesus trumps religion every single time. It went beyond what the Jews had worshipped in their religion. It went beyond what the Greeks were doing with their mythology and all of those Greek gods that they worshipped. John is saying that Jesus is all of that. He is proclaiming that Jesus is life, that Jesus is love. And that Jesus is everything you're hoping for, everything that you are searching for, and everything that you will ever, ever need. The second thing we see is that Jesus gives life to everything. Jesus gives life to everything. And we see in verses 3 and 4, it says, God created most things? No, everything. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through Him. The Word, talking about Jesus, the Word gave life to everything that was created and has His life has brought light to everyone. Folks, the Word gave life to everything. Look, I have a general understanding of how my car works. I start the ignition. I put it in gear. I might even be able to change the oil in it if I could find the cap. But you know what? If, I, if something's wrong with my car and I take it to a shop, there is going to be somebody that has been taught about how to work on that car. If I were to take it to the factory where it was made, there would be somebody that knew what every bolt and every snap did. Why? Because they designed it. Folks, God designed you. Jesus designed you. He knows all your quirks. He knows all your hang-ups. And He knows all of your gifts. And He knows all of your passions. 
He knows all of your dreams. He knows all of your hurts. He knows all of your laughter. He created you. He knows everything about you. Friend, let me assure you, Jesus knows exactly what you are going through and how you are wired. And nothing is too difficult for God because he created everything. Not only did he give life to everything, he sustains life. He sustains life. It says in him, in 1 John 4, it says, In him was the light, or in him was the life, and the life was the light of men. If Christ created all things, he must be the fountain of life. He gives life to us. For example, I talk with young couples who are getting married, and they're starting their lives together, and they start talking about having babies. And a pessimist would say, I just don't see how I can have any type of happy marriage, home or child, in today's world. Why in the world would I want to bring a child into today's world? That would be the pessimist. That would be the person that has a small faith. But then I'll tell you what, there's the optimist. Who could, who could look in the face of a newborn baby and, and say that there is no hope in this world? When you can see the dawning of a new life. Folks, sin will take our life, worry by worry, but Jesus sustains our life. He gives us hope and He gives us eternal life. The third thing that we see is that Jesus will not be overcome. Jesus will not be overcome. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Let me show you something. Here is the final proof that Jesus is God. If you see in verse 1, and if you were to break down what we've just read this morning, Jesus is the Word that's proclaimed. We see that Jesus is the maker or the creator of everything. We see in verse 4, it says that Jesus is the life. And now we see in verse 5, that Jesus is the light. So John has proclaimed he is the word, he is the maker, he is the life, and he is the light. And if you were to go to 1 John 1, verse 5, you know what it says? It says that God is light. So we have John talking in this passage about the fact that Jesus is the light, and we have him talking in his 1 John letter that, he, that God is the light. Folks, they are one and the same. You can't have one without the other. The conclusion is final. That the Lord Jesus is none other than God, the second person in the Holy Trinity. And I love this. Evil will never overcome God's light. Folks, it just seems like the world is getting crazier, doesn't it? It's just getting more evil. I mean, is it easy to lose hope today? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's easy to lose hope. But folks, as we look at the Scriptures and we look at who Jesus is, Jesus has not changed. He has not left. His Holy Spirit walks among us. And as crazy as this world gets, He's still with us. You want to see crazy? Wait till He leaves. That will be crazy. But for right now, He is here. And it says in John eight twelve, it says that... Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Folks, Jesus is the light. But check this out. 
Every eye look up here. Check this out. Here's the hard part. Look in your Bibles. I'm, if you've got your Bible, turn to it. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. Second Corinthians 11:14. It says, "Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light." Some translations say he masquerades as an angel of light. Check this out, folks. All of us are looking for light in our dark lives. You've got to be careful what light source you're looking at. Amen. Folks, if you live your life off of what your news channel says in the morning, or what your Facebook feed says, or what your friends say in your phone circle, or what the men say down at Hardy's when they're solving the world's problems over a biscuit and a coffee, when you, when you see all of these things that are going on, where are we getting our light from? Folks, if it's the court of public opinion, and if it's what we see and read and hear on TV, we will be tossed to and fro. And there are cults, there are religions that claim to be the light, they claim to have the way of salvation, but we know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the light, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. Let me ask you something, folks. Where are you getting your light from? It has to be from Jesus Christ. Be careful, because Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So not only do we have to be careful where discern where we get it from, but we also have to distinguish between the light. Is it good or is it bad? How do you know? How do you know if the light you're following is a great light? I mean, imagine it this way. You see a light down the road. And you go and you chase towards it, and you realize it's a bus and it runs you over. That's not good, right? Or if you see a light and it gets you home, that's one thing I loved about back in the day being a kid, is that, uh, and still some of your houses have this, you almost have to have it, but any of y'all ever have a house or have a house that, that has these huge floodlights on them? Oh man, there's nothing like playing as a kid out in the woods, and it starts to get dark, and you see that back porch light on, and you run to it. How do you know that that light is home? And how do you not know that that is a trap? Well, it says in Psalm 119, verse 105, this is how you test whether the light you're following is a good light or a bad light. And it says, Your, your world is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. Folks, you do not have to walk blindly through life. You don't have to walk blindly through life. I, listen, I talk to people all the time and they say, Preacher, I just I don't understand how, how to make sense of this. How, how do you know when God is speaking to you? And I tell them every single time, God speaks to us in three ways. And I've said this to you a million times, this will be a million and one. How does God speak to us? Through His Word through prayer, and through the counsel of godly people. 
So if you've got a big decision, you're trying to figure out what you should do and what light is it coming from, does it match up with God's Word? Have you prayed about it to the sense that you have a peace about it? And then has it been confirmed in the work of others that you respect? That's how you know. I mean, those, that's the filter that we let everything go through. So whatever comes out on the other end, we know that that's of God. I remember uh, a while back when I was doing youth ministry, we had this, this activity. We were talking about Jesus is the light of the world. And so we, we met in this house that had been converted into a youth area. And so I blindfolded all the kids. And then they sat down. And for a few minutes, myself and some of the workers constructed an obstacle course with chairs and tables and, and all kinds of stuff that we could put in their way. And so everything is, is, the obstacle is there. Everybody's blindfolded, all the kids. And then we dim the lights and we say, okay, we want you to get from point A to point B through the obstacle course. Just listen to the adult workers and they'll tell you how to navigate through it. What I didn't tell them is half of the workers we're telling them the truth, and half of them were telling them a lie. And they had no way to distinguish what was right. And what was even worse, these were people that they trusted. They got kind of mad. They said, that's not fair. We, we, we trust them. And I said, you've got to be careful. Everything that you hear, you've got to evaluate. Where does it come through this? Because I've got news for you. I've had friends, and you've had friends that mean well but they give you terrible advice. How do you know the difference? God's Word. Because there will be somebody that if you're in a, a wallowing in a pity party, they're just going to wallow with it. Yeah, you have every right to be that way. You don't need to forgive that person. Oh, yeah, I, I just, you, you're exactly right in your hurt feelings. Oh, yeah, I, I wouldn't do that either. I'd do that. And then just go on and on and on. Where is that in Scripture? How does that line up with God's Word? Folks, we cannot walk blindly through life. So, what can love do? Well, God, our Creator, your Creator, loved you enough to redeem you rather than destroy you. Jesus loved His Father in you enough to walk among us and give us a physical experience of an invisible God. I mean, think about that. At this point in history, the Jews and the Gentiles had never even been allowed to see God. They would have to go worship in a temple, and a priest would have to go intercede on their behalf. But now they see God walking among them. That is how much God loves you. And Jesus' love can find you when you are lost and give you direction in your future. And in this world that is filled with hate, the love of God will be the only thing that will help you overcome. As it says on the slide, God expressed His love in the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. And Jesus will overcome. With you or without you. It's written in stone. So do you want to get on the bus or do you want to be run over by it? God's love is going to change this world. Take heart, Christian. And if you've got the love of Christ in your life, you best be sharing it.
Because that's the only way we will overcome. Do you need that love this morning? Or have you taken that love for granted? Or have you shared that love with somebody that needs it? Only you know that question. Only you know the answer to that question. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And I just am so grateful that you've led us to the book of John, Lord, to to get back to the basics, to see how precious and how deep your love is for us that you would send your son and that your son would come and redeem us rather than destroy us. And so, Lord, it is my prayer today if there is someone here that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord, and they want that kind of love. They want to know that they can be guided in life by your truth. And they, they're tired of messing up their life on their own. And they want forgiveness of sins. And they want to start afresh and anew with you, Lord. May they come forward and I'll pray with them and we'll get them started on that process.